the galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother, and treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Age of Darkness. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, coming to you from within the depths of the Vengeful Spirit. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Remembrancer's Retreat, a Warhammer 30k Horus Heresy and Specialist Games podcast. My name is Jesse, I'm here today with Austin and Steven, and we're talking more Adeptus Titanicus, Crucible of Retribution. It's the best game. We're wildly late, but it's still real good. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you don't have a copy of Crucible of Retribution on your own, then this is your only source of knowing. Well, not your only source, but the best source. It's not a favorite source. Well, I wouldn't say great source. (laughs) And uh, if you've just... If you've just now got into Adeptus Titanicus or the Remembrancer's Retreat, this is like brand new. It's like we're right on time. You're the one that's late, not us. Yeah, time is fake. (laughs) (laughs) And with that out of the way, let's dig right in. Yeah, Uh, so there's night houses in Crucible of Retribution, just like there is in every supplement. Um, Nowadays, yeah. We'll we'll wait until Jason gets a chance to dig into that, because he's our night guy. So instead, Austin and I are going to take you on a wild journey, first into one of the legendary missions, and then we're going to look at the new Echoes of War, uh, because none of us have seen any of that content yet. I mean, we have it there in the book, but we haven't really dug into it. So you're going to be hearing this all. Yeah, we have a lot of jobs to do. Uh, Full time? So many (laughs) animals to look after. Hours of work. Significant others. There's just, we don't have as much time to dedicate to talking into a microphone to the endless screaming void. Yeah, if you want to. we would like. If we could make this our full time job, we would. Speaking of which, go to our Patreon Oh, fuck, I would. Absolutely. <laughs> Patreon.com <laughs> yeah. forward slash R30K podcast. We love it's the stressful Patreons. enough when it's once a week. If you want a well done, uh, up to the minute podcast, I suggest you either give us a lot more money uh, or find one <laughs> wherein the nerd operates out of his mother's basement and off, off of his mother's paycheck. Well, uh, see, I was going to one suggest other. a podcast, but not yeah, like Edge that. Because that's you haven't listened Edge to Empire. Empire is cool. Cool. They're not in. They're not nerds in their mother's basement. Let's put that out there right now. Yeah, they're respectful um, they individuals. Are, yes, high high quality content. Edge of Empires. All right, that constitutes and, our shout and out. And the for God today. Engine co- uh, cast. Yes, God Engine. Yeah, actually, I just saw. And now I feel really bad for setting it up that way. Yeah, you kind of you're kind of a dudes. dick, Austin. Everybody. <laughs> I, I Wait, actually, there's actually just a lot got of good dudes podcasting. First, We're I terrible. get that recording late, and now this. Uh, uh. See, if you hadn't said anything about the late recording, no one would have ever known. Jesse was going to throw me under the bus. You won't know it. I know it. Well, I'll do it now. Austin, you sent me the files late. I recognize my failings and will be sure to correct them. Anyway, um, Titanicus. Actually, though, Titanicus. On the note of Titanicus and also other podcasts, um, I just saw an advertisement, not an advertisement, but like someone posting about it. Uh, there's a new one that just came out this week, I think. It's called Maximal Fire. Uh, oh, another podcast. Mm-hmm, another Titanicus podcast. They just put okay. out their first episode. Not, I haven't listened to it, obviously, because I just remembered it. But that's something else you could go check a look at. Check it I out. As no far as we know, those people quality. are not problematic. So check it out. Yeah. Yeah. They should good people, I'm sure. Yes, hopefully. Everyone's and, good on the internet, right? And if they're not, Jesse will edit this out later. It's <clears> true. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) so um 
as we've mentioned before, Austin and I have been playing uh, the legendary missions out of the books with Dave, uh, and they're properly socially cool. distanced. Mm-hmm. Socially distanced, of course, over a six foot table. Uh, there's a two foot buffer zone between the four foot play zone. It's, it's where we put all the beer. Uh, <laughs> and it's if you've played through like some of um, Necromunda or Battlefleet Gothic's asymmetrical missions, it's more of those. Um, a lot of them have loyalists with fewer points than the traitors or weird deployment, stuff like that. Um, but we played one last week, two weeks ago. Time is fake. Um, called The Burning of Mal- Malhaner. Malhaner. The Burning of Malhaner. Malhaner. Fight me. <laughs> Malhaner. Uh, colon Titan Duel. And this is on page 74 of Crucible of Retribution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not going to read the whole fluff paragraph because we might have a bit of a time crunch on us. We don't know. Uh, we always do. Yes. But it, the the idea is the traitors and the loyalists were fighting on an agri world and pretty much immediately all like order of battle broke down and it just devolved into two on two, one on two Titan duels. Uh where there was no objective other than just to kill the other guy because they're there, right? It's and like a scene them. from the Power Rangers. Yeah. Except, yeah. Well, I guess just, they were trying to kill each other too. Yeah, but. it's just two uh, two reavers with two power fists each just circling each other. Oh, so good. While Eye of the Tiger blares in the background. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, I've call, I've I said to the boys here that this actually feels like a whole different game using Titanicus models and a few Titanicus rules. Um, it's actually pretty close to Kill Team Titanicus edition. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so starting off, the battle groups. One player controls Legio Ataris. Their player, uh, the opponent, controls Legio Lanascara. Functionally, you can do whatever Legios you, you want. That's what we did. Uh, we actually managed to play three games over the course of uh, the evening. That's how yeah. quick they went. What nice. usually takes us one. Yeah. yeah, when it usually takes us one. Uh, both players should have a battle rating of up to 1,000 points, which is pretty small in Titanicus terms. No maniples can be used, and neither player can take night banners. Sorry, Jason. Yeah, so it yeah, really is just only. titans squaring off across, like, even the board is smaller. Uh, normally, a game of Titanicus is played on a 4x4. Four four. Some of the legendaries are played on a 6x4. This one's played on a 3x3. Three three. Hmm. Uh, and there's not a whole lot of big terrain. Like, there's some. it's on an agri-world, so there's some trees, there's some rocks, there's a bush. Yeah, it says it uh, represents a well-developed agri-world and should contain a moderate amount of natural terrain with a small amount of industrial buildings. Yep. Um, but it's a three by three. It's a foot smaller hmm. than every, than a normal game, uh, which again, one reason that it goes so quick, uh, and neither of you can take stratagems. So it's all down to whatever <laughs> you bought for down. your Titan and whatever Legio you picked. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, Austin, tell me about the special rules. So the special rule is really, we've totally rewritten the rules. That's, that's really what this is. Uh, so what has happened, as Stephen mentioned, is everything broke down. 
uh, mainly because some unspecified Xenos force uh, shows up and blasts all the ships in orbit. Loyalist trader doesn't matter. So it's a bunch of Titans stranded screwing around downstairs. Uh, and this changes. So it's a bunch of fast paced duels between one or two Titans aside. Uh, and there are changes to the core system of Adeptus Titanicus. So like you said, no maniples, also no squadrons, even if they would normally be allowed to do so. And the normal turn sequence is replaced. Instead of taking turns like normal, uh, players take it in turns, starting with the winner of a roll-off to activate a single friendly Titan. That Titan can do one of five things. It can either fire, turn up to 45 degrees, shoot the chosen target just like the normal combat phase, move, do a movement like it's your normal movement phase, uh, charge, just do a charge move like you had that order in the movement phase, minor repair, which you make a repair roll uh, equal to the number of servit half the number of servitor clades to a minimum of one rounding down, uh, which is painful. Sure. And then can move up to half the movement characteristic and you can only move, uh, only make up to one turn during the move. Uh, and then there's the emergency repair, which is the Titan may make a repair roll as if they've been issued the emergency repair order. Mm. All right. That's a lot to grab around, but that, those are the five things. Fire like it's the shooting phase, move like it's the movement phase, charge like it's the movement phase, get like half of a normal repair roll and still move a bit. Half and or half a repair and a move. Emergency repair. Yeah. yeah. So think of it like that. After the Titan is activated, it can't be activated in the controlling player's next activation unless there are no other eligible friendly Titans to be activated. So you're not rolling for first turn, right? You roll for first turn at the start of the game. Mm -hmm. And let's say, Jesse, uh, you have two Titans and I have three Titans, right? It's alternating activations. Unending alternating activations. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, you're right. So if you yeah. win, you activate, <laughs> let's say you have two Warlords, I have three Reavers, yeah. right? You activate Warlord 1, I activate Reaver 1. You activate Warlord 2, I activate Reaver 2. You can then activate Warlord 2 again because both of your Titans have activated, and I have to do Reaver 3. Oh, and then wow. you are forced to do Warlord 1. And then yeah. I can activate any of the reavers I want. So it becomes wild because once you beat up on your enemy a little bit, like if he has one Titan left and you have three, guess what? His yeah. one Titan is doing three things. It gets well, deadlier. Well, Titans do one, yeah. Oh, it, okay. It gets nastier and nastier as time goes by. <laughs> I like this. And this is cool. Is wild. And your damage, like all of the all the effects from draining, pushing your reactor and stuff, that builds up because you're not having a repair phase. You know, there's not a movement phase, combat phase, repair phase. You can you have to make a repair during your activation. Yeah. If yeah, you want to fix any of that. If your yeah, weapon so gets blown off, you know? Like, like congratulations. You gotta, yeah, gotta fix it. There's no it's like, nuts. well, I can take a little bit of damage throughout the turn because I'll have that repair phase to fix everything. Nope, it's all or nothing. Um, but there is a bright side to it, uh, which is because there's no end phase and no bespoke damage control phase, 
the things that like kick off at those points, like rolling a D6 or D10 if your reactor is too hot, uh, or advancing your reactor track because it's the end phase, or even things like um, yeah, shit. Is it Prince, Princeps Wounded that lowers your leadership? Mm-hmm. You're not like going that, yeah. on orders. Yeah, there's no orders. You're right. So it's just this insanity. is like a completely different game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we liked it a lot. It it was wild. Um, yeah, what we ended up doing after the first game, mm-hmm. uh, we kind of put an informal time limit of like thirty seconds to determine what uh, it is you're going to do, like a game clock in a way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We we had a game clock to it, so it was just like no think, just go, 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 go. Ah, balls. <laughs> I did the wrong thing. All right. Yeah. 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 I, this um, actually might be a game I can play. Right? Yeah. It only you don't you only have to have one or two titans. And then again, very different from a normal game of Adeptus Titanicus. And someone brings the, the War Master in. <laughs> Oops. Uh, no, yeah, that don't don't it, can you? Once you put all the guns technically on it, isn't you, it over a thousand points. Uh technically you can't because you can only bring it if you already have a maniple and you're expressing uh, Yep, but no maniples can bad be maniples. I see. Womp, okay. Womp. All right. Oh, no. All right. Be that way. That's uh, cool. But funny the the cool thing about it is unlike most games of Titanicus where you start rolling for the end phase on turn 4 and you're really in most games even in a lot of the the legendary missions you're not actively trying to wipe your enemy because it's hard and that's not really what you're about. Uh, in this, the game lasts until one or more players have no units on the battlefield, and victory is the player who is still standing wins. Last Titan standing. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's pretty cool. And you start off real close to each other. Like Steven said, it's a three by three, uh-huh. uh, and it's a 12 inch deployment zone, just straight <laughs> across the board. Gotcha. So you start, you know, within 24 inches of an enemy Titan, right? If yeah. you deploy second, you're guaranteed to be within 24 inches. Uh, and if you get real ballsy, you can be at 12 inches from each other. You just go yep. to town. Just immediately start charging. And with its uh, suggested aggro world layout, it's just a beat down. Yeah, we Shoot did not out. have a lot of cover. Yeah, I think we had two pieces of line of sight blocking terrain and everything else is just trees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like the, the designer's note they have on page 75. The changes to the turn sequence presented in this mission modifies the gameplay to give it a different feel from the main game. The intention is to create a mission where each action of the Titan should be carefully thought out and the wrong move can spell disaster for your princeps. If at any point the change of the turn sequence creates clashes with other rules from the core systems, players should discuss it between themselves how to go forwards, rolling off if they can't come to an agreement, which I'm trying to think what situation that would come out as. But they're like, you know what? We did this. You guys figure it out if it runs into into a problem. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and I I think that is... Talk amongst yourselves. I think that is to cover things like... Yeah, your reactor track will never increase due to body damage. Some mm. people might want it to. And I don't know. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot that you could fiddle with. Because you, you, you wind up, because like Steven said, you're not able to cool down just as a matter of course. Yeah. You wind yeah. up doing a lot of strength nine hits to your own body. Uh, you can still <laughs> cool down with, a, with emergency repairs. Yeah, but then you don't shoot. Yeah, yeah, but what I'm saying is you you have to make that decision. It's not exactly. necessarily a... Uh, it, it doesn't break the game. It just makes the game a lot more uh, tactical. Yeah, like normally, you know, cooling down at least a little bit is a foregone conclusion. Sure. Um, 
especially with warlords. Yeah, because we were using warlords. Yeah. yeah. But can you risk moving that half, uh, I guess that six inches and rolling, what, one servitor clay for a war, warhound? Yeah, it was, I was doing it, it with a reaver. And yeah. <laughs> even I was, I was using Lanascara's rules so I could push the reaver for free every time I wanted to move. Oh, that's and true. You do have the legion rules. I was like scooting four and a half inches every turn while keeping my reactor cool. It didn't really help me though, because uh, at the start of the phase, I get to regain a hull point on a four up. It there never happens. No There's no <laughs> start of phase. Oof. Ah. Yep. Well, this every, is it's fun. all just one big phase. Now I feel like it'd be fun to just make a Titan duel, uh, Legio. <laughs> Legio yeah. Titan Duel. Well, just Legio you know, Titan just for duel. Titan Duel games, where you can sit down and just okay, because this interferes with this or interacts this way. Yeah, use the DIY Legio to make a yeah. make the nasty Legion one v one guy you can. Yeah, and and honestly, I'm I'm really thinking about this, um, for an for an event, just mm-hmm. like hey, bring a war like have like a warlord kit it out however you want because you know it'll be within 20 or 30 points of each other that's no big deal sure uh and we're just gonna have a friggin just titan dual boxing round single elimination yeah Go. ding ding yep 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 yeah i'd be yeah. down for that it was a lot of fun and especially i think we probably killed a whole bottle of port so by the third we game we're just <laughs> we sitting there staring at these titans like what the hell am i gonna do while the clock ticks down in our mind <laughs> gonna die gonna be real sad very cool yeah but um i i highly suggest playing the legendary missions if you've played through you know all of the the stuff that's in the basic rule book and you never were able to get a hold of the um <clears throat> the open war cards because i know those were those are pretty rare yeah. now um, or if you on. have you know gotten a hold of the open war cards but you're just kind of eh, that was fun for you know a month take a look at the legendary <laughs> missions it's a lot of fun i highly highly suggest playing with the legion rules that are presented in the scenario because they're all historical scenarios uh we've played the last stand of urdesh We've done uh, Wreck of the Arutan, uh, which is Legio Infernus and Legio Presagius. Uh, we've done uh, Magna versus Ataris, I think. The one with all the fake uh, Auspex mm, ghosts. Yeah, yeah, that was wild. Yeah, that was a fun one. So there's lots of stuff in there that has rules that are only in that mission. Like, you're not going to find it anywhere else in any of the other books. So. Gotcha definitely definitely worth playing especially cool, cool, cool. if you're doing campaigns like if mm. you if you see something in your campaign and narratively it's come to the point where you're like well this is kind of a significant event but there's no real like mission rules to truly represent what's happening so i guess we'll just play a regular mission nah homie take a look at the legendary missions they there's some one good in, stuff there's one in here that has you breaking through trench lines yeah, I'm looking at that one right now. I, Destroyed uh, the siege lines. I may have bought a bunch of six <laughs> millimeter trench lines with this in mind. Yeah, Austin's out there just buying tons of trench lines solely so he can play this mission. <laughs> I mean, not solely, but also... Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
there's one where uh, I think it's out of Shadow and Iron where Legio Mordaxis comes out of the ocean to like attack a, an, an atoll where all the loyalists are holed up on. Oh, so much cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Princeps Captain D at the helm. Yep. Um, oops, didn't mean to close that. That's an American joke. No. American fast food American. joke. Southern Southern American fast food joke. Is it really in the South? Just in the South? We have Long John Silvers in Texas. Yeah, Captain. I've I've honestly I don't even know if it's in the South because I've never seen one outside of Virginia. Like I know they exist outside of Virginia. Yeah. No, they 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 exist outside of Virginia. Virginia. Um, The only other place I've seen one though, of all places, is Arizona. So it's take it's that with a grain of salt for our friends out there. Nope. It, it's a it's a fast food seafood restaurant. So take it as is. Yeah, uh, I have not. not I have now. I think about, I have not eaten at a Captain D's or a Long John Silver's in probably ten years. Yeah, yeah. I was a trainee at my job the last time I was in training, and we went there one time, and that was the last time I remember. And that was enough. That was enough. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Shit. So. What are we talking about again? I lost. Uh, I lost We're, we're going to move on to Echoes of Glory. All right. Uh, what page is page that? Page 78 of okay. Crucible of Retribution. So um, flip through my PDF with my keyboard. <laughs> and like I said there earlier, um, you know, the game's been out, what, two years now? Three years? Yeah. A while. Six books. It's been out six, six books. books. Yeah, two a year. So yeah, three years. Wow. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. Uh, and three no, years this is, is this this did come out in 2018. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. no! Oh no! <laughs> right in the middle of the dark years, it was, it was the one glimmer of light. Uh, uh, alas, uh, but three years is plenty of time to run through every possible permutation of matched play. Uh, so. Uh, Crucible of Retribution gave us Echoes of Glory, which I'll just read you what they wrote here in the book. Uh, Based within the rich narrative of the Horus Heresy, Adeptus Titanicus provides a unique sandbox for playing games representing the apocalyptic warfare that engulfed the galaxy during the Age of Darkness. Some of these battles are represented in the form of narrative missions that are represented in various Titanicus supplements, including this book. However, the joy of tabletop gaming is being able to craft your own stories revolving around the forces you command and the trials they face on the battlefield. Therefore, the following section provides a series of pre-generated deployment maps, objectives, and special rules that allow players to play a mission not framed in a set narrative. To achieve this, the following pages presents a series of tables that players can use to determine a mission. Each table represents a specific type of world or battlefield, and each table consists of five different missions. To determine a mission, players can either agree on a world, so there's forge worlds, um, death worlds, hive worlds... Uh, and then a mission from that type or randomly determine it. To do this, players roll a d6 on the world type uh, and then roll a d6 on the corresponding table to determine the mission. If both players agree, they can choose a mission instead. Each mission uses predetermined objectives, deployment zones, and special rules, although players should feel free to agree on additional special rules to use during the battle. Each mission has rules that detail the following. Deployment map, battlefield setup, battle group, special rules, victory conditions, just like every other... Yeah, uh, all the usual stuff. Yeah, all the all the usual stuff. Deployment map describes how players mm-hmm. should deploy. Uh, some missions reference attackers and defenders. In such case, players should agree who will be who. 
Missions that have an attacker and defender may include guidelines for battle group size, detailing the difference in size between the two players. Yeah, um, so it's pretty much what you'd expect, right? Yeah. It's a standard, like, a legendary battle, but smaller. Uh, at least in the descriptions, because there's no big, oh, you know, in M10, these two Legios were going at it. It's just, hey, you want to fight on a frozen wasteland? <laughs> we got Boy, you, if I got the battle for you. <laughs> yeah. It's not entirely unlike open war, although a little less variable. Um, yeah. Although I think when it says you can add special rules, I think they're envisioning these to at some point be used in conjunction with, with the open uh, war cards. Well, not just the open war cards, but the hazardous hazardous zones, whatever. Oh, yeah. Hostile battlefields. Hostile battlefields. Mm. Yeah. 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 Uh, that came out not, in a couple of different books. If you're not familiar with open world cards by now, they are basically uh, the – it's a deck. You, you draw map. Uh, or world you're on, deployment, objectives, go. It's a little more variety. I think there's probably some 40 or 50 different combinations in yeah, there. Yeah, they've so. got some special rules and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff, which are fun. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, this seems like a blast. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, so there's three types of world. Uh, death world, forge world, and hive world. Um yeah, and they've each got six different missions associated Five with them. Five different missions. Five. Oh, yeah, because the win six is just the winner six, gets to choose. Yeah. Yes. Um, presumably, you can mix and match if you're feeling brave, but I would assume you probably just want to stick to what's on the page. Um, so we'll start with Death World. The first Death World mission is called Stronghold. Uh, the battlefield is a six-inch natural moat runs across the battlefield, starting 12 inches away from the defender's board edge, so basically the center of the board. Uh, well, the defender quite. places three bridges, each eight inches wide, spanning the moat, with at least eight inches between each bridge. The defender's deployment zone contains a moderate amount of urban terrain. The rest of the board should contain a moderate amount of dense uh, amount of natural terrain. Rocks, shrubs, jungles, etc. that shrubbery in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm yep. really interested to see if... Because this is not the first time that they've started to, like, mention non-industrial terrain. Uh, so I'm curious if we're going to see, like, AT jungle terrain. Yeah, you I'd know? be about it. I'd, big, giant, titan-sized trees. Or just, you know, here are 40 really, you know, tiny six trees. millimeter trees. Yeah, just like, you know, who knows? I mean, there's a certain game that uses that kind of terrain, isn't there? Uh, if you're thinking about uh, epic god's own scale <laughs> why yes there is it's the lord's scale follow <laughs> me dear friends into six millimeter wargaming because that's what adeptus titanicus is don't let anybody tell you otherwise Aha, congratulations we're still You're there bam bamboozled <laughs> we're riding this to the moon <laughs> diamond hands diamond hands until epic um so uh. You have two battle groups. Uh, the attacker should have a battle group or a battle rating that is a thousand points greater than the woo. What is that? <laughs> Good times, not long times, Steve. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. Yeah, someone, someone outside has their subwoofer going crazy. I can, I, my floor is rattling. Well, oh, this we microphone we... is great because I can't hear a damn yeah, thing. Yeah, we thought you're talking you were about. just real excited about having a thousand points more than your, the defender. Oh, well, yeah. This, <laughs> damn, this road mic is sick. 
<laughs> you can also still hear the dog barking downstairs sometimes, though. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. You can thank the patrons for that. Thank you, patrons. Thanks, patrons. Hooray. Kiss, 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 kiss. Uh, so, both def- attackers and defenders deploy off the table edges. Uh, defenders deploy 18 inches up. Attackers deploy 12 inches up. So, again, attackers have 1,000 points extra. Uh, so if you're playing, if you're some madman, right, and the defender has 3,000 points of titans, <laughs> attacker will have 4,000. Uh, special rules. Natural moat. The defenders have constructed their stronghold next to a deadly natural feature, be that a lava flow, acid lake, or other destructive landmark. The natural moat, which is a red shaded area that looks to be about 16 inches past the... Uh... Yeah, it starts at 12 inches and then goes another 6 inches past. Yeah. Did I say 16? I meant 6. You did. Oh. Uh, uh, the natural moat counts as dangerous terrain, with the exception that units take D3 strength 8 hits for each one inch they move through it. Oh, Lord. Wow. It's so, 6 inches wide. Yeah. Uh, if so the unit don't. is standing in the moat when activated in the movement phase, they automatically suffer D3 strength 8 hits before moving. So don't go into the moat. That's that's the don't, lesson yeah, there. Just, I'm it, not sure if anything <laughs> could actually... Like, a warlord, if you're feeling, you know, brave enough to risk it, m- might get through just because strength 8 might not be enough to start What do they start the on, 12? Uh, 12 or 13? 12 or 13, yeah. So it's interesting that um, when they start in the moat, they take the hits to the legs. But otherwise, it's free range. No. Yeah. If they the start exception in... that units take D3 strength 8 hits for each one inch they move through it. Stop. Titans period. take these hits to their legs. Oh, Titans take these hits to the legs. Well, look, there the you next go. Sentence. Okay. The next Don't sentence. Don't walk knights get through it, though, because those guys are going to die. <laughs> Everybody going to die. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Victory conditions are the battle lasts for six rounds. At the end of the battle, both players should calculate total scale of their units within the defender's deployment zone. Um, This includes the bridges, but not the moat. Units which have not been destroyed but are structurally compromised, or in the case of night banners, units which have lost more than half of their models count as half their scale rounding down when calculating total scale within the deployment zone. Player with the highest total scale within the defender's deployment zone claims victory. Both players have the same. The battle is a draw. So it's a stand-your-ground mission with Mm -hmm. the added fun of there just being a giant acid lake in the middle of it. (laughs) Right? You just get your three warlords, plop one on each bridge, and dare him to come at you. Of course, he's got a thousand points more than you, so he'll come at you. Yeah, he he will. There will be coming. Um, This could really fuck with, like, this is where you want those concussive weapons, right? mm -hmm, Knock you mm -hmm. off the bridge into the lava. And, you know, it's funny, uh, when the game first came out, naturally we all started, like, homebrewing up scenario ideas in our head, and then the plague happened, and we never were able to play any of them. But one of the ones that I was thinking of was a bridge mission. Yeah. They beat you to it. They beat me to it. Good <laughs> job. They probably did a better job than I would have anyway, so it's fine. It took them three years and still beat you to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm slow. I have to write <laughs> Battlefleet <laughs> Heresy rules. Right? I don't have time for all this. Didn't stop me. How long it took to make those Gloriana rules? Oh, Way no. too long. <laughs> Look, we've been thinking about... No, I'm not even going to say yep, that. That's I'm another, that's another it. episode. That's another episode. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but I like the, I like the, the thing there. That's, that's cool. If you bring... I like the idea of bringing Reavers, melee Reavers, and punching enemy Titans off the bridge and into the lava. 
Well, bro, if you like punching enemy titans off of things into things, <laughs> boy, will you like the next scenario. Oh, boy. Death World Precipice. <laughs> the battle takes place on the edge of a vast chasm, canyon, or other deadly drop. Oh, no. Uh, the battlefield should have a moderate amount of terrain, be that natural or urban. Uh, the chasm counts as deadly terrain. However, titans do not roll in the catastrophic damage table if destroyed due to the chasm. Because they just why fall. soon. <laughs> oh. uh, so you just spoil it for you. You know, it's a fair fight. Uh, deployments take it in turns. So what happens is this is a four by four battle, but and the attacker deploys twelve inches in. Uh, the first twelve inches on the defender's side is chasm, and then the defender has a six inch deployment zone in front of that. So there's only about eighteen inches between the two sides, and the defenders have their backs. Uh, to the pit. There's only one special rule, and it's strong winds. Uh, the battlefield is constantly buffeted by winds that, at their strongest, are capable of toppling even a titan. At the start of each strategy phase, after the first round, the first player should roll a d10. Every unit with a scale equal or lower to the result of the die is moved d6 plus 1 towards the chasm board edge. <laughs> If at any point at least half a model's base is in the chasm, that model is immediately destroyed. This is Super uh, Mario bullshit going on here. Yeah. You just get you <laughs> fall into the fucking endless chasm. <laughs> into the lava. There you go. Sorry, Bowser. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, Oop. no. You had a catastrophic weapons malfunction. Nope. You're three miles deep in that chasm. Nobody cares. Dun, 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 this dun. is actually kind of cool, though. I like the, uh, like the idea and the theme But I will say... This. That f the interesting the thing that's most interesting tactically for me is not only that you're just you can knock people in the chasms right that's always fun, uh, but the defender's deployment zone is only six inches wide. Yeah. So if you take a shooty warlord, what you want to do is first fire right. Except that if you get unlucky, your warlord could then immediately be in the chasm. D six so plus one. Yeah, you are, and you're about a three inch wide base right. So seven inches back. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good night, sweet prince. Yep. Let's see. Is it? Hang on. If, at least okay. It's at least half a model's base. So yeah. But the base is two or three inches wide, right? So only the yeah. front half is six inches away from the edge of that chasm. So you go seven inches back. And I do like the fact that the you need more than half of the base too over the edge. So it's yeah, like you're it whoa, little, whoa. Like you, can, you can dance on the precipice, right? But. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. At what cost? <laughs> All right. So, yeah. uh, so also, okay. So you roll a D10 every unit with a scale equal to or lower than the result. So if you were to roll a 10, that's everything but a war, a war master. Yeah. Cause a warlord's what? I, I, I warlord is 10. Warlord is 10. Okay. Warlord's 10. Reaver's eight. Eight. Reaver's uh, eight. Warhound, Warhound six. six. And the knights are four, four and three. Oh yeah. boy, I didn't even think about the knights. <laughs> yeah, knights just are getting pushed whole, around quite a, a bit. A whole little banner of lemmings just tumbling <laughs> off the cliff. <laughs> oh shit! Oh no! Yeah, yeah. I do like this. Again, bring punchy reavers and just like boxing match somebody off that cliff. <laughs> and it so it gets even wilder than that because you're thinking, okay, well that's great and all, but how do you actually win? You win by being in the defender's deployment zone. 
You calculate oh. <laughs> the total points value of units within the defender's deployment zone, which have not been destroyed, units that are structurally compromised, beat up banners, half points, just like the last mission. Player with the highest points in the defender's deployment zone wins. Whoa. <laughs> so you want to walk on the edge of doom. But not too close. But not too close. You just want to yeah. be there. And like this, this is this nuts. has all sorts of shenanigans as far as like collisions and all that sort of stuff. Can How happen. close do you want to get to the zone? Do you rely on the wind to push you into the zone at the end? Right, like mm. well, it's so the beginning of the hostile beginning of the hostile battlefields phase. is um, low gravity. So every time you push your reactor, you move an extra d six inches because like, <laughs> you know there's your titans which is like moonwalking. Yeah. So okay. Uh, so it's the start of each strategy phase after the first round is when to win. Yeah. So you could, you can move in at the end of a round, hoping that the turn ends or the game ends, right? No, because the game. So in all of these missions, if it's not specifically stated, the game lasts five rounds. Oh, okay. Got it. It's not like the normal variable rules of thirty k. Got it. No. Yeah. Until I play this game a or, lot. Or Titanicus. Titanicus. Normally, you start checking for end of game at the end of turn four, but okay. this. Specifically says, unless otherwise stated, each battlefield is designed to be played in a four by four and last five rounds. Mm, I love it. Love Precipice. You can put I, this... lo- I love Echoes of Glory right off the bat. Now, here's yeah, the thing. They're, they're two for two. Uh, use this in Titan Duel and just like determine when the wind blows at like a given point after a certain amount of activations. Every tenth activation. Ugh. Actually, it would be kind of neat if you did Titan Duel, but it didn't end until someone had been pushed off the cliff. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're going into Mario Party mode. (laughs) Jesus. Mario Party Titan Edition. And everybody just has knights. That's the fun part. Yeah. (laughs) Just scattering around the table. (laughs) Then you get a... uh, Yeah, then you get a a scatter die. (laughs) Yep. Jesse's already all in on Echoes of Glory. Oh, God. All right. All right. Let me write this one down. Uh, The next Death World is Beast Beast Nest. Nest, I'll take this one if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Beast Nest. Battlefield. The battle takes place upon a Death World and contains a moderate to dense amount of natural terrain, whether that is rocky canyons, lava flows, or thick jungles. Battle groups. When selecting battle groups... Both players should build their battle group to an agreed-upon battle rating. Go nuts. Deployment. The winner of the roll-off chooses a deployment zone, which their opponent receiving the opposite deployment zone. With their opponent receiving the opposite deployment zone. Uh, Starting with the winner of that roll-off, players take it in turns to place a single unit within their deployment zone. And here's where the beast nests come in as a mission special rule. The area holds many beast nests, home to megafauna capable of threatening even titans. After both players have deployed their forces, players take it in turns to place a nest marker, represented by a 32mm base, or an appropriate terrain piece, anywhere on the battlefield outside of a deployment zone, and more than 7 inches from a previously deployed nest marker. Each player places a marker until one player chooses not to place one, after which their opponent may place one final marker, if they wish, on the battlefield. It is recommended that at least six nest markers are placed. <laughs> I did not notice. So like like Stephen said, we hadn't really read through these, but I had read this one and was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I didn't realize that it can be like just 
as many nests as you just keep want. going. Just I mean, but with that seven inch uh, range, that still can get kind of tight to eventually. Screw it. <laughs> Make the game however you want. <laughs> no, three nests right here. Maximum beasts. Yeah. Anytime a unit ends its movement within three inches of a nest marker or is activated in a movement phase within three inches of a nest marker, roll a d10. On a one, two, or three, a beast attacks. The unit suffers d3 plus one strength eight hits as if hit Ugh. by a weapon with a rending trait. Oops. Yep. After resolving this attack, remove the nest marker from the battlefield. Remind me what rending does in Titanicus. Uh, on a roll of six to, uh, on the, on, on a damage armor roll, sorry. On an armor roll of six, you add D three to the uh, strength. Oh, goody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> it could be, it could hit you strength 11. It's a tiny volcano cannon. <laughs> Victory conditions. At the end of the battle, each player calculates the total points value of enemy units that have been destroyed. Units which have not been destroyed, but are structurally compromised or in the case of Night Banners, units which have lost more than half of their models count as half their points value rounding down when calculating the total points value destroyed. The player who has destroyed the highest total amount of points claims victory. If both players have destroyed the same total amount of points, the game is, spoiler, a draw instead. Kaylee doesn't like that. <laughs> oh, can you hear her. that? Yeah, she's, oh, it's <laughs> she disapproves of ties. Austin, she wishes there only to be a victor. It's uh, it's March of the Archaeosaurs. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking, and I'm about it. I also just realized, even though we've said it three times now, well, I guess not three, but the some of these are points value. Like precipice yeah. isn't scale; it's points value. Yeah, this yeah. is points value, which is delightful. I'm about mm -hmm. it. Yeah, yeah, I like this. Uh... Like the dinosaurs can just jump out of the trees and start beating you up. Yeah, three for three. Funny, it, it's King Kong, King Kong coming out of the woods, just beating you. <laughs> the throwing feces. Kids <laughs> go to the dollar store, grab a bunch of a big old stegosauruses, yeah. plastic. So time to rebase some of your old Nid models. One of my mm. uh, one of my favorite Warhammer shorts is a story called March of the Archaeosaurs, which, without explaining and spoiling too much of it, it's Titans versus dinosaurs. Nice. And it's it's so dumb and so much fun. I love that story. You can probably find it in Inferno. Uh, Austin told me about it one time while we were on a drive to Nova, I think. And uh, after that, I started seeing it everywhere in just copies of Inferno, Inferno compilations. They were just March of the Archaeosaurs, March of the Archaeosaurs. And you close your yeah, eyes I at night, it. March of the Archaeosaurs. Yeah, giant dinosaurs. <laughs> is amazing um i do like the idea of a not removing the beast markers uh after you've been attacked by a dinosaur just, just leaving it there <laughs> just damn it this dinosaur's like i know what i'm about yep <laughs> i know how to take this thing down um and then again titanic duel sounds like it would just be dumb fun oh yeah when you're also trying to dodge dinosaurs <laughs> the dinosaurs move yeah, just yeah. all the dinosaurs scatter. Scatter die, D3 plus one maybe if you want to, don't yeah. get too crazy. Just run everywhere about it. Yep, that's a good one. Three all for three. All I wanted was just some plants to eat. And then these motherfucking titans <laughs> around here just sort of <laughs> shooting shit up. So I was like, fuck it. Beat um, the crap out of them. I don't know where that came from, guys. I'm just tired. 
Uh, I mean, it'd be like that. <laughs> Time is an illusion. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. Uh, the next one is Death World Frozen Wasteland. Uh, the battlefield takes place on a frozen plains of an Arctic world, and its surface is riddled with <laughs> more chasms. Uh, the battlefield should contain a sparse to moderate amount of natural terrain, rocks, canyons, etc. In addition, players should take it in turn, starting with the winner of a roll-off, to place a chasm on the board as follows. Oops. Just whack the arm there. Just slap uh, it. Yeah. Bam. Uh, battle groups should, uh, should be an even fight. Figure it out amongst yourselves. You're adults. Uh, and then deployment is, you know, along the edges, 12 inches up, like most of these seem to be. Uh, mission special rules, chasms. When setting up battlefield, when setting up the battlefield, players should take it in turn, starting with the winner of a roll-off, to place a chasm anywhere on the board. A chasm can be any size or shape, but at least 50% of the battlefield must not contain a chasm. Chasms cannot be placed in the player's deployment zone. When placing a chasm, a player must connect theirs to a previously placed can, chasm. Can connect. Can. Uh, when placing a chasm, they can connect to a previously placed chasm. Oh, you just make super big chasms. Mm. There must be at least two clear routes, large enough for a Warlord Titan's base to move along from one deployment zone to the other. Chasms are deadly terrain. A chasm can be represented by an appropriate piece of terrain or a marked-off area on the battlefield. So if you, you know, fall into them, you dead. Presumably, you're just going through an ice shelf and sinking down into a frozen ocean. Mm-hmm. Which I guess is, you know, entirely plausible given that you're a giant. And might not actually kill machine. a Titan, like all things considered. Yeah, they're hermetically sealed. Yeah. And I mean but there's dinosaurs on the other planet, so there's probably <laughs> sharks on this one. Yeah, mega sharks. But like mm. a couple of legios, like that that's what they do, is go fight weird things under the ocean. Yeah, they go walk on the walk on the seafloor, which is super cool to think about. Uh. Uh, other special rule is biting cold. The freezing winds of the planet assail everything that walks on its surface, proving deadly to any living thing exposed to them. Titans may vent plasma on a 3-up instead of a 4-up. In addition, Titans with the reactor leak, X, critical damage, increase their reactor level by one less hole during the end phase, i.e. a Titan with reactor leak 1 would not increase their reactor level, presumably because it's cold. Hmm. However... I, I guess it works that way. Yeah, it's it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, however, a Titan that has suffered critical damage to the head suffers an additional point of critical damage to their head during the end phase. This cause, If this causes catastrophic damage, the Titan counts as having rolled a silenced result Oof. on the catastrophic damage table. Wow. Uh, like the glass breaks and the crew that, just freezes to death. That that's, amniotic tank just ices over. You got oh, a princess so cool. sickle. God, these are so fluffy. I love it. Finally, a good reason to target the head. Because <laughs> that's a short damage track. But nobody ever wants to start it. Because it's so heavily armored. Yeah. And it's uh, hard to hit. Yeah, that too. Uh, victory. At the end of the battle, each player calculates total points of enemy units, uh, which have been destroyed, structurally compromised, beat up night banners, just like the last ones. Um, player who has destroyed the highest total amount of points claims victory. If both players have destroyed the same total amount of points, the game is a draw. And space sharks come and eat you. Well, presumably not the space sharks, because they're not a chapter yet. No, like <laughs> actual sharks from space. <laughs> I guess they could... Uh, like, ice sharks? I, uh. Icy sharks. Megalodon. He's there. <laughs> the Meg. The you Meg. saw that movie. Don't act like you didn't. Space narwhals. They're, they're from space. icy places. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense. All their space blubber and, and whatnot. All right, so I, I think a, uh, I've, in my head I've also thought of a new Death World. Uh-huh. Uh, death World, uh, oops, all chasm. <laughs> oh, you deploy no. your titans, and you're all falling in this giant chasm, and every certain uh, time you roll a die, and that depends where a ledge comes up, and you just smash into it. <laughs> so what? You're just supposed yes. to not just fall you can't move. in and and you shoot at you only hit on sixes. There you, you go. really got like Mario on the brain, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Just... Yeah, because God, I remember that time Mario hit a ledge after falling in a chasm on Mario Party. That was that was a lot of fun. Hmm. Yeah. I've been seeing a lot of Mario Party stuff That's today. Not Just kind great. of coincidental. The latest one isn't great. It's not as oh. fun. Well. It feels soulless. Look, if it's not on the N64, it's just not going to be as good. It's yeah, true. Mario Party 2 was where it was at, and that was the end of it. <laughs> they made six more, and it just wasn't as good as it could have been. Anyway, yeah. welcome to the Remembrance Retreat, a Mario Party podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Austin, want to take the next one? Well, I think we can safely say, gents, that we're four for four so far. Yeah, these yeah. are super cool. So now we've got Blistering Sands. The other end of the spectrum. Oh, no. Uh, the battle takes oh, place. Oh, well, spectrum of frozen wasteland. Yes. I thought you were talking about, like, good death worlds. Well, yeah. Anyone who's <laughs> ever played a video game will know that there's a certain formula you follow. Hot level, cold level, uh, jungle level. That's Sandy level. That's where we are. Sandy water, level. Water yes. level. Water yeah, level. This is where we're at. No doubt we'll get to the water level in time. Although it may have been just replaced by chasms. Who knows? Oh, spoil- no, well, there is Tunnel War, the next one, but we'll, uh, we'll get it. Is. <laughs> All right. So as you can guess from the name, this battle takes on place in the vast deserts of an arid world bathed in radiation. Uh, it, could, it should contain a sparse to moderate amount of natural terrain, i.e. rocks or canyons. Not great. Not terrible. Not hey, great. Not terrible. Question. Um, yes. Since they keep making a differentiation between natural terrain as opposed to industrial terrain, industrial terrain being buildings and such, is natural terrain indestructible? Well, presumably there's different types, right? Like, I would say that rocks and canyons are. Huh. Whereas a forest, when they when they talk about in the advanced rules uh, blowing up terrain, right, mm-hmm. they specifically peg out that a forest, like a regular building is like armor value 11 or something. Right. Uh, but a forest might only be armor value 9. Hmm. So... That's kind of cool. You know, big Maybe rock formation the size of a up. warlord, probably not blow upable. Yeah, those things Forest, are dense. Burn it. Yeah. But they also probably intend it to be massive. Yeah. Yeah, that's true too. Oh, I see a chasm on that deployment map. Read on, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Um, so when selecting your battle groups, the attacker should have 750 points more than the defender. Uh, and the defender deploys anywhere within their deployment zone. First, period. Uh, and then the attacker deploys. And that's not, not great because the defender's deployment zone is a 16-inch to a side square in the smack dab middle of the board. Oof. So you deploy in the square in the middle of the board, and then the attacker deploys uh, anywhere within eight inches of any board edge. So for those of you that are like me and not great at math, that means that there's eight inches between the two deployment zones. Uh, hey, that's a reaver charge distance. Thank you, Stephen, for pointing for pointing that out. Because yeah, it is. Uh, oh, no, the hell, defender deploys first. That's not good. That's a warlord's charge distance. Really? Yeah. Like you get a big, Yeah. There we go. 
And the special rule is unyielding radiation. The world is bathed in harsh radiation by its sun that heats the planet to almost inhospitable levels for those who are unshielded. Titans only vent plasma on a five instead of a four. In addition, each a when a Titan is activated in the movement phase, they're affected by the radiation. Uh, if it has active void shields, increase its reactor level by one. Ooh. If the Titan has void shield level X, they immediately suffer a strength seven hit to their head instead. For, I guess, the sunstroke? I don't know. Uh, Night banners suffer here. D3 strength seven hits when activated in the movement phase instead of the above, with no ion shield saves allowed. Uh-huh. So you lose a shield a turn no matter what. Yep. Sucks to suck. Well, Yikes. no, you don't, you don't lose a shield. Oh, no, sorry. You the, increase the reactor your reactor by one. Okay. Your reactor is so heating you, up every turn. you spiking real quick. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so the defender is attempting to hold out against the overwhelming forces of the attacker. At the end of the battle, calculate the total points value of the, the, defender, of the defender's units that have been destroyed. Uh, same thing, not destroyed, half points, structurally compromised, blah, blah, blah. If at least 66% of the total value of the defender's battle group has been destroyed, the attacker claims victory. Otherwise, the defender claims victory. Huh. Which is good, because that is an unkind setup to the defender. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a that's a fast game, because yeah. every turn, your reactor's that, heating up. That won't make it to turn five in the slightest. No, especially not with, like, hounds and stuff, and knights yeah. are just uh. popping fodder huh well not as cool as the others but still pretty neat mm -hmm. i do I like a, a survival mission though where yeah. you're just trying to live so those yeah. are the death worlds yep. it's pretty cool and then there's a picture of a cool reaver yep it's a cool picture yes uh, it looks like a krytos reaver two or hounds in the uh, I don't remember who is based on Gryia, but that's where the Reaver's from, so. <laughs> well, cool. Uh, Jesse, you want to start the Forge Worlds? Sure, why not? So we have Forge World Tunnel War. So we've gone down into the pipe, and now we're going through the tunnels. Da -na 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 -na. Battlefield. The battle takes place in the industrial tunnels beneath the Forge World. The gray shaded area of the battlefield represents tunnel walls, which are like which are blocking terrain that is infinitely high and cannot be destroyed. Ooh. When setting up the battlefield, players should clearly mark off portions of the battlefield as tunnel walls. The tunnel walls should cover at least 25% of the battlefield in any shape or size, and there must be at least one from one side of the battlefield to the other, large enough for Warlord's Titan base to move along. Okay, uh, the rest of the battlefield should contain a moderate amount of industrial terrain. So they got like three on the design here. They have like three huge pieces of a line of sight line of sight blocking terrain. Yeah, like twenty four inches across, mm -hmm. like eight or nine inches in the other direction. Size huge. Yep. Yeah. Uh, battle groups. When selecting battle groups, both players should build their battle group to an agreed-upon battle rating. Deployment. Winner of a roll-off chooses deployment zone with their opponent receiving the opposite deployment zone. It's a 12 inches deployment on one side or the other. 
Mission Special Rules Darkness. The power supply in this section is inconsistent at best, causing the battlefield to be plunged into darkness at random intervals. At the start of the strategy phase of each round, roll a d6. On a 1 to 3... On a 1, 2, 3, uh, the power unexpectedly shuts down. The first player rolls 2d10. Until the end of the round, all units can only target an enemy with an attack within this range in inches. Blast weapons can shoot farther than this, i.e. if you place a blast marker more than 2d10 away. However, if they do, the shot automatically misses and must scatter. Uh, Titans that make... Titans that made one or more weapon attacks earlier in the round can be targeted regardless of the distance an attacker can see. On a 4 to 6, the lights are powered and normal rules for line of sight are followed. And they also have an optional special rule, confined tunnels. If both players agree, they can use the confined tunnels special rule. If they do so, before selecting battle groups, one player should roll a d6 to see which units can fit in the tunnels. On a 1 to 2, only units with a scale of 6 or less may be included in the battle group. 3 to 4, only scale 8 or less. And on a 5 to 6, only units with a scale of 10 or less may be included in a battle group. If players wish, the need for a compulsory mana pool can be ignored when building their battle group when using this rule to allow both players to use which unit to blah, to allow both players to use which units they have that match that scale restriction. All right, already, you know what I want to do with this mission? What's that? I want to make it confined tunnels, knights only, just put it on a 30k zone mortalis board. There you go. I mean, yeah, this is basically zone mortalis titanicus. Pretty much. Uh, Victory at the end of the battle. Each player calculates the total point value of enemy units have destroyed. Blah, blah, blah. Rounding down for compromised or... Night banners. The player has destroyed the highest total amount of points claims victory. And same total amount of points is a draw. Man, that's a cool mission. Yeah. And they are infinitely high, which means all your indirect fire weapons don't suck work. a dick. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You can't put an apocalypse missile over that. Yep. Just into the ceiling. Make the lights go out. That's really cool. You know, the interesting thing here is this is another mission that benefits a punchy list. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because if you look at the map, there's so there's so many. I mean, there's only choke points. There are only choke points. You've got to go there to shoot at the guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. So yeah, I, looking at the map, you can move a couple of reavers around that big met, that big piece in the middle there, and whoever's behind it, like pick a direction. You got to shoot that way. This mm. is true. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love it. This is the year of the melee titans. Mark my words. <laughs> Lannistar uh, leads the way. So, Stephen, do you want me to take this next one? Because I feel like you'll want the one after next. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We'll leave it to our dear listeners to figure out what's going on there. Because uh, the next one on the list is Research Station. Uh, the battlefield represents a research station and should contain a moderate amount of industrial or urban terrain. And after the battlefield is set up, players should set up three research facilities in total. Uh, take it in turn, starting with the defender, to place a 32-millimeter base or appropriate terrain piece to represent a research facility anywhere on the battlefield outside of the deployment zone and more than 10 inches from a previously deployed research facility. Uh, it's a fair fight. And like a lot of these missions... Uh, it's opposite side deployment zones. The attacker has a 12-inch zone. The defender only has an 8-inch zone. 
Uh, so there's a good amount of space between the two maniples, which is always nice for the shooty legios. The mission-specific rule is siphon nodes. The research facilities are dedicated to the study of archaeosiphons, which have the unfortunate property of taxing the machiner, the system of all machinery within a considerable radius of them. When a Titan within six inches of a research facility pushes their reactor, the player must roll an additional reactor die and pick the least favorable oh. result. As per the following order from least to most favorable, awaken machine spirit increased by two, increased by one, blank face. In addition, when a Titan within six inches of a research facility is activated the movement phase on a D6, roll a D6. On a 4-up, the Titan lowers their void seals by 1. On a 6-up, they lower it by 2 instead. Oof. And that seems real shitty. And then you get the victory condition. At the end of the battle, which is, again, 5 turns, uh, each player calculates the total scale of their units within 6 inches of each research facility. A research facility is controlled by the player with the highest total scale within 6 inches, uh, the person who controls the most research facilities wins. Uh, if the total scale of both players is equal on a given research facility, nobody controls it. Wow. So, yeah. Not Damn. only does it suck to be near a research facility, but you got to be near a research facility. <laughs> wow. Well, about yeah. it? About Another, it. yeah, it's, it's a, an objective control one, but it sucks to hold the objectives. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's you really need that turn five swoop onto the objectives. Yep, playing a warhound. Definitely an interesting mm -hmm. spin for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like it. That's pretty cool. I'm not sure if I like the Forge World ones more than I like the Death World ones yet. Because the Death World ones are all like real simple and still real cool. The Forge World ones require a little bit of brain work. Of course, because you they got smart-alecky robots running yeah. around in there. Shouldn't they think they're so great with their metal bodies and plastic brains? The flesh is weak. <laughs> um, yeah, one, again, bring a punchy punchy reaver and uh, <laughs> dare people That's to take those solution for nerds. everything. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just... Yeah. There's a problem over there. Hit it with a strength 10 power fist. <laughs> okay. Uh, the next one is, I was looking through our table of contents today and I saw it on there and I was like, what? There's a, this? No, we got to talk about this today. So today's episode is brought to you by Forge World Hellforge. The battlefield represents a Mechanicum Forge that has been radically changed by the Traitor Mechanicum. It should contain a moderate to dense amount of industrial and urban terrain, a six by six inches section of the defender's deployment zone should be marked off representing the hell forge as follows an appropriate terrain piece can be used instead uh it's a f no it's not a fair fight when selecting battle groups the attacker should have a battle rating that is 500 points greater than the defender <clears throat> the defender deploys their force anywhere within their deployment zone which is a 12 inch box or a 12 inch band really it goes from end to end uh and the attacker does the same again they have the exact same deployment zone Mission Special Rules, Hellforge. The attackers are attempting to destroy the Hellforge, a vast manufactorum from which march the deviant engines of the Traitor Mechanicum. The Hellforge counts as a piece of blocking terrain with additional special rules as follows. Any unit within the attacker's force that can target... Any unit within the attacker's force can target the Hellforge as if it was an enemy unit. 
When targeting the Hellforge, the attack attacking unit rolls to hit and resolves armor rolls as normal, although no location die is rolled. The Hellforge has the following damage table. Uh, you need at least a 15 to hurt it. Uh, and when you go 15 to 17, the Hellforge loses one structure point. If you manage to get 18 or above, the Hellforge loses, loses two structure points. Um, the Hellforge has a total of 10 structure points. If the Hellforge loses its last structure point, it is destroyed and removed from the table. While the Hellforge is on the table, attacks against it or units within six inches of it while the Hellforge is on the table, attacks against it, or units within 6 inches of the Hellforge, originating from more than 12 inches away, suffer a negative 2 to all hit rolls and Whoa. decrease their strength by 1 to a minimum of 4. Whoa. Wow. That's yeah, a tanky... I really like that. <laughs> that, is a, that is a tanky air conditioner. <laughs> right? There's a cage around I mean, it. There are crickets inside. I mean, a lot of these scenarios, right, that are like destroy the thing, and if you destroy the thing, you win... All you do is shoot at the thing, but the Hellforge's rules mean that you really can't do the job the first couple of, like, you gotta get close. Uh-huh. Well, it gets worse. Because in addition, any of the attacker's units within 18 inches of the Hellforge suffer a negative one to all command checks. Oh, oh no! The mind fuckery. <laughs> yeah, because presumably freaky flesh titans and nasty ass guitarian servitors are just a walking trillion, out of it a trillion stock tanks just obscene yeah yeah you ever you ever read the uh the iron warriors book with the demon Kilba? it's that <sighs> uh victory if at any point the hellforge is destroyed the battle ends at the end of the battle if the hellforge has been destroyed by the attacker then the attacker claims victory otherwise the defender claims victory so blow it up or else you've got five turns to do it wow which who boy even with an extra 500 points jesus i need that war master yeah yeah even with an extra 500 points to bring that hellforge is not going down easy no and you can you can uh castle around it and anything that tries to shoot you Myrmidon as as within six inches of it also suffer that negative one to hit or that negative two. So shoot, even like uh warlords hitting from that far away or only hitting on a five. You could drop a volcano cannon straight on that thing and still miss on a five or uh, <laughs> I mean, on anything any, other than a five or a six. Even if you hit it, you need a three up to do damage. Yeah. Which I mean no, you need a four up. Because you suffer a negative oh, on strength. Oh, yeah. You're right. Lord. Lord, have mercy on loyalists, except none. Oh. No, no mercy. Yikes. I like that a lot. That's super cool. Um, it's kind of like a mini Wreck of the Aruton. Because Wreck of the Aruton plays very similarly, um, except the doors to the macro hauler thing are technically off table, and you've got to go a long way to get there. Yeah. Uh, but boy, that's a cool one. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to playing that. All right. Uh, moving right along, we have the Forge World Forge Fane. The battle takes place within a Forge Fane constructed on a platform over an industrial runoff. A 24 inch by 24 inch section sits in the center of the board. This is the Forge Fane. A 10 inch wide bridge runs from the center of each board edge to the Forge Fane. The rest of the battlefield. The gray shaded areas represent industrial runoff and counts as deadly terrain. 
Oh, no. Uh, the forged vein should contain a moderate to dense amount of industrial and urban debris. The bridges can contain a small amount of terrain, so long as they allow clear <laughs> passage for attacking units of all sizes. When selecting battle groups, the attacker should have a battle rating that is 500 points greater than the defender. The defender deploys their forces anywhere within the de deployment zone. The attacker then deploys their forces anywhere within their deployment zone, which includes all four bridges at least eight inches away from an enemy unit. And we have an endless tide. In this mission, when attacking Titan or Night Banner, when an attacking Titan or Night Banner is destroyed, place it to one side. At the beginning of the round, before determining the first player, the attacking player may roll 3d10 to see how many of their reserves have reached the battlefield. They may bring them on a number of units whose scale is equal to or less than the number rolled. For example, if a 13 was rolled, the player could bring back a destroyed Warlord Titan, which is scale 10, and a Knight Banner, which is scale 3, or four Knight Banners for a total scale of 12. Units returned to the table arrive fully healed of any damage they have suffered and, in the case of Knight Banners, with their full complement of models. When a unit arrives from reserves, it can be placed anywhere within three inches of a board edge and activates normally that round. Titans returned to the battlefield during the same turn may be formed into maniples as long as they meet the maniples required components or squadrons. Oh my. Victory at the end of the battle, the player calculate the attacker calculates the total point value of enemy units they have destroyed. In addition, both players calculate the total scale of their units within the defender's deployment zone. If the attacker has destroyed at least 66% of the total point value of the defender's force and has a greater total scale than the defender in the defender's deployment zone, they claim victory. So it's a twofold there. If the attacker has a greater total scale than the defender in the defender's deployment zone, but has not destroyed 50% of the total points value, the game is a draw. Otherwise, the defender claims victory. Oof. So storm the bridges again, but extra lava this time? Right. And also from every possible direction? Yeah. <laughs> it's a tower defense, but there is no tower, only titans. Yeah. Only titans. Well, I mean, the, the titans are technically towers. Theoretically, yeah, sure. Yeah. I believe it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a fun one. I like that one. Yeah, I'm, I, you know me, I'm a sucker for a good last stand. Yeah, and then again, just knock people off the bridges. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, get, keep you, your... uh, get you some weapons with concussive and just charge down those bridges, just one lone Saxon holding the bridge style. Boom, boom. Until <laughs> some knocking... guy gets underneath you and stabs you in the balls. Well, <sighs> it'd be like that sometimes. it do. Even for Titans. Hmm. All right, that last uh, one there for Forge Worlds. Up? is the Convoy Assault. Huh. Neat. The battle takes place around a major road through a dense cityscape. An eight-inch wide area of the board, clear of any terrain, should run from the defender's board edge to the attacker's board edge, just right down the center to represent the road. Uh, the rest of the battlefield should contain a moderate to dense amount of industrial and urban terrain. Uh, when selecting battle groups, the defender should have a battle rating 250 points greater than the attacker. So, you know... Have an extra Warhound. That'll be fine. Uh, deployment. The defender places a 60mm round base or appropriate model upon the road to represent the convoy being escorted within three inches of their board edge. 
They then deploy their units anywhere within their deployment zone, which is the standard 12 inches up all the way across. Uh, the attacker deploys their units anywhere within their deployment zone. Same thing, 12 inches out, 48 across. And the mission special rules is convoy. The defender is attempting to escort a valuable convoy vital to the war effort through contested territory. If, at the end of each movement phase, a defending unit is within six inches of the convoy and no attacking units are within three inches of the convoy, the defender can move the convoy up to six inches in a straight line along the road, stopping before it collides with anything. If, during the end phase, the convoy is in one inch of the attacker's board edge, it can escape and is removed from the battlefield. The convoy does not count as destroyed, but takes no further part in the game. Uh, valuable cargo. The, car the convoy is heavily shielded and carries cargo that both sides want. The convoy cannot be damaged or destroyed. In addition, no unit within three inches of the convoy can be targeted by a weapon with a blast trait, as both sides seek to avoid damaging the cargo. If a unit within six inches of the convoy is hit by a weapon of the blast with the blast template that misses the subsequently scattered, their effect is normal. So you can't target somebody close, but if somebody close is hit by a blast weapon because it's scattered, deal with it. Uh, the battle lasts for seven rounds. If the convoy escapes, the defender is victorious. Otherwise, the attacker is victorious. Mm. This is pretty cool. Huh. Well, eastbound and down. Yep. <laughs> I like Got a this. long way to go and a short time to get there. Princeps Reynolds. <laughs> I'm not, not going to lie. This is one of the inspirations for a scenario that I've been working on and playtesting with Steven and Dave. And it's been a, just so, so many of those jokes have been made. <laughs> yeah, we, we basically just, we, we play as if every single person in the convoy is just some hillbilly, right? <laughs> nah. A good old boy trucker. It's infinitely more fun that way. It really is. It really is. Yeah, I'm not entirely certain if I like this more than your scenario, Austin. Um, but I I'm like not going to lie. I like oh, the no shooting at it. That's cool. Yeah, I specifically wrote mine because I was annoyed that you couldn't shoot at it. Well, there you go. <laughs> so let's see. Uh, 12, hmm. It can go up to six inches, right? And it's got a clear one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So it has one turn of grace of not moving. <laughs> yeah. That's, that is rough. It's yeah. a hard scenario. Because yeah. you only have 250 points extra. Mm -hmm. So if the guy has a couple of reavers and just sits them in the way, thanks <laughs> for gonna coming do? out, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, uh, it's a rough one. Yeah, rough. But ought to be pretty cool. But yeah, mine will be fun. Whenever this pandemic ends, dear listeners, we'll have another AT event. And uh, boy, do I have a convoy mission for you. They got a Christmas convoy. Da, ba, ba, da, ba. <laughs> so that was it for the Forge Worlds. Mm -hmm. Now there's one, two, three, four, five Hive Worlds left. Do mm -hmm. you want to just dive through these real quick and Here we go. get it over with? Yeah. All right. You say get it over with like you're not having a good time, Jesse. I'm, I'm having and a good time. that's a lie. I just... Always trying to figure out how to squeeze everything into an episode, or do I let it go for another part X? What are the what else are the listeners doing with their time? What are they driving down the highway? They've got time to listen. <laughs> what do you think they're driving to work, Stephen? Um, some of us don't <laughs> I, have the luxury yeah. of working from home. I mean, that's Good fair, or... but my wife hasn't gone to work 
in like a year. Has your life, has your wife left the house in a year? We we go grocery shopping. Oh, yeah. how kind of you, right? <laughs> Lord, went to, went to Walmart the other day. Had to get something. Hmm. Not sure if Walmart is the <laughs> treat of the week, but okay. And yet here we are. <laughs> it's been a rough decade, Stephen. <laughs> Laugh through the tears, guys. Laugh through the tears. Hive world <laughs> siege. Uh, the battlefield takes siege? place on you're, the you're missing, edge. You're missing, not the next one. What are you spear doing? Spear point. Oh, spear Quit point. Quit fucking I around. I went ahead. I'm sorry. Jesus. I'm just, I was so excited for sieges. Or Walmart, one of the two. Eh, get uh, distracted. Hive world spear point. Uh, the battle takes place within the walls of a hive city and should be covered in dense amount of urban terrain with some clear areas representing roads and city squares. Uh, when selecting battle groups, both players should build their battle group to an agreed-upon rating. It's a fair fight. Deployment. The attacker deploys their forces anywhere within their deployment zone, which is a 24 by 24 inch square located not in the middle of the battlefield, but in the middle of their deployment area. Uh, one side of that square touches board their, edge. Uh, their board, board edge. edge. Yeah. Uh, and the defenders uh, go 18 inches up from their board edge. Uh, this is pretty straightforward. Uh, victory at the end. There's no special rules for it. Uh, at the end of the battle, divide the battlefield into four equal sections, i.e. a four by four board would be divided into two, two by two, or four, two by two sections and determine the total scale of each player's uh, unit in the section. Units have not been destroyed, but are structurally compromised, etc., etc. Um, count as half their scale. The player with the highest total scale in the section controls that section. If the total scale of both players is equal, neither player controls it. The player who controls the most battlefield sections at the end of the battle claims victory. If both players control an equal amount, it is a draw. Uh, so yeah, hmm. taking and holding ground, or taking it from the opponent and then just murdering everybody there. This is weird. There's no special rule. Yeah, it's but it's it's, it's very dense zone. terrain. Yeah. So you've gotta you gotta root the enemy out. That is true. And starting Stalingrad off Stalingrad with Titans. <laughs> oh joy. Uh and starting out in that little square right there, you could in theory, you know, uh have a pretty rough fire zone at the start of the game mm-hmm. before you're able to move out and, and take the uh, sections. And that, like, there's a minimum six-inch gap between deployment zones. Like, so if you're trying to rush to get all four off the, the get-go, uh, it'll be danger close real quick. Mm-hmm. You probably have to be patient and kill a few titans and then move to take ground. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Neat. Short, simple, to the point. Breakout. Hive world breakout. The battle takes place within a heavily urbanized area, and so the battlefield should contain a moderate to dense amount of urban terrain. Uh, when selecting battle groups, the attacker should have a battle rating that is a thousand points greater than the defender. Hmm. Uh, deployment. The attacker deploys their forces anywhere within their deployment zone. The defender then deploys their forces anywhere within their deployment zone. Uh, mission rules. Breakthrough. The defender is attempting to break through the attacker's line and escape the cordon they've established. In the end phase, any of the defender's units within one inch of the attacker's board edge can escape. Remove that unit from the battlefield. That unit does not count as destroyed, but plays no further part in the battle. 
At the end of the battle, calculate the total points value of all defenders' units that have escaped. If that total group, if that total point value of units that have escaped is at least 40% of the total of the defender's starting units, the defender claims victory. Otherwise, the attacker is victorious. Which sounds easy enough, except you look at the deployment map, and the attacker up deploys on two table edges, and the defender deploys in the middle. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, uh, of course, the attacker is also a thousand points up. Yeah. Which really mitigates that just concentrate against one side and try to blow through strategy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would I would load up one side with relatively light forces, warhounds and knights, and put war warlords and reavers on the other half, uh, yeah. and shoot them in the back, or yeah. or the know. light stuff chases them down. Uh huh. If they try and break through the light stuff, then the light stuff might get behind them, or they get shot in the back. And if they try to run away from the light stuff, they have to deal with all that stuff behind them. So. Mm -hmm. That's my official yeah. uh, Remembrancer's <laughs> Retreat ESPN Prima Strategy Gamer Guide. You see, if the attacker <laughs> comes from this side over here and puts in the defender's side over here, they're going to have a great time playing ball. What you want to do is you want to destroy Titans and, and stop your Titans from being destroyed. Thank you, Steve Madden. It's the Undertaker, and he's got a steel chair. <laughs> yep. Score points. Break Titans. Okay, well, now we can do Siege. We can. And by when I say we, I mean Austin. <laughs> I will, because it's glorious. Uh, the battle takes place on the edge of a hive city. The defender chooses a board edge. This is the hive city board edge. A six-inch wide wall is, is then placed 12 inches from that board edge, running from one side of the battlefield to the other. The defender can place two gateways in the wall. These are six inches wide and can be anywhere along the city wall at least 12 inches from a previously placed gate. When selecting battle groups, the attacker should have a battle rating that is a thousand points greater than the defender. Uh, deployment. The defender deploys their forces anywhere within their deployment zone, which is the standard 12 up and across. The attacker, same thing, 12 up and across on the opposite side. Uh, and the defender can deploy any battlefield assets on the city wall if they desire. Ooh. That's cool. Now, I will say that it doesn't specify the terrain, except that it's on the edge of a hive city. On the map that they give, there is no terrain but this wall. Uh, it's just a killing field. So here we go. The special rule, hive wall. The attackers must overcome the defending forces and the city wall itself. The city wall is divided into sections six inches wide and six inches in length. A city wall section counts as blocking terrain to any unit with a scale of five or less. For units with a scale of six or more, the wall blocks movement but not line of sight. A gatehouse section does block line of sight for units with a scale five or less, but any of the defender's unit can move through them freely, while the attacker's units cannot. Uh, a section of city wall can be destroyed, uh, just according to the normal rules for destroying terrain, and the city wall has an armor value of 13. Any section of the city wall that is destroyed is reduced to rubble and counts as difficult terrain and no longer blocks line of sight. And then the other special rule is hive shields. The city boasts a protective shield that absorbs a measure of energy from incoming fire. If a titan within the defender's deployment zone is a target of an attack that originates from outside the, de the deployment zone, 
the Titan adds plus one to all save rolls they make. Uh, a night banner in the defender's deployment zone that is a target of an attack that originates from outside the deployment zone always has at least a six-up ion shield save, regardless of the strength of weapon or number of knights in the banner. And then at the end of the battle, players calculate the total scale of their units within the defender's deployment zone. Uh, whoever has the most wins. I'm about it. I've I'm said about it before. Again. I'll say it again. I'm bringing punchy reavers. <laughs> and I'm just going to tear that wall down with my bare hands. I'm just imagining like a group of Serastus behind a gate, just like waiting to sally forth the second the enemy gets in range while warlords are on the, like just on the gun line blasting away. Ugh, it's good. It's good. It makes me think of, uh, of Helm's Deep when the wall gets blown in the mm-hmm. movie, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the defenders are there waiting for the Urukai charge, except instead of Urukai, it's a Reaver. It's just punchy Reavers. <laughs> yeah. It's punchy Reavers all the way down. It's punchy Reavers all the way down. I like um, the objective here being to get in that deployment zone still instead of to kill stuff um, because it it encourages you to spread that, spread your deployment out or at least the uh, ultimate order of battle, not necessarily your deployment. Um Across the field, instead of, you know, just castling up in your deployment zone. Because I would put, like, warlords, a war master, uh, in that deployment zone, but everything else kind of a few inches behind the wall, so that when something comes through and is slowed down by the rubble, you just pour fire into it. Yeah, or hell, even, like I said, have have a couple of night banners, and their job is to charge out of one of those gates... And just tie tie down that enemy warlord or that enemy reaver for a turn or two so it can't physically make it into your deployment zone by the end of turn five. Mm-hmm. And it's, f- yeah, five turns. Five yeah. turns to get through get, at uh, least 24 two inches. Yeah. 13 uh, armor value walls. That's a tall order. Well, time for you to start printing city walls. Actually, what I was immediately thinking of was that Battlegrounds has that old fantasy castle. Oh, too yeah. tall. <laughs> too tall. How tall does it have to be? It scale. It a warhound needs to be able to shoot over it. A warhound can indirect fire its mega bolters. Just shoot them up in the air. It's fine. That's not how indirect fire works. Damn it, you Stephen! Can, you can make it happen. The Germans figured this out in World War One. Surely, princeps in the thirty-first millennium can figure it I mean, out. To be fair, the Austro-Hungarians were the ones that figured it out. We're going to be pedantic uh, about it. Okay, fine. Well, if there's anything that we can value on the internet, it's being pedantic. <laughs> it's all we have. It's all we have. High world crossroads. In, in this, this, the year of 2021. <laughs> being pedantic. Yeah, if you can't be vaccinated, at least be pedantic. <laughs> <laughs> we need that on stickers. <laughs> Uh, coming oh. to the red bubble near you. Hive World Crossroads. This is the next one. The battlefield represents a major crossroads within a hive city. The center of the battlefield should contain a 12 by 12 section. The center of the battlefield should contain a 12 by 12 inch section of the battlefield, which contains no terrain. Okay. Furthermore, a six inch wide section of the battlefield, which contains no terrain, should run from uh, either corner of the battlefield to the center of the battlefield. The rest of the battlefield should contain a dense amount of urban terrain. It's a crossroads. You all know what crossroads look like. Eric Clapton went down to them. He tried to flag a ride. I will say, though, 
that the density of the terrain is wild. Like it says a dense amount of terrain, but again, we've got little pictures here. It may as well uh, be impassable. Yeah, like you can fit a Questorus Knight through some of these and certainly not anything bigger. Uh, so you're running down the highway at each other. Yeah, this uh, this screams like good, the bad, and the ugly shootout. Jets versus sharks just finger snapping towards each other. Yeah, that too, I guess, if you don't like Clint Eastwood. I mean, I this know. is a city, not a, you know, shitty western town. Well. I'm just saying. Uh, that should have been your go-to. Standards. Anyway, yeah, so Crossroads, you know what a Crossroads look like. If you don't, Google it. Uh, when selecting battle groups, both players should build their battle group to an agreed-upon rating. Deployment. So both players deploy um, 12 inches from their board edge. They'll roll off to figure out who goes where. Um, so you're both starting kind of on the outskirts of the crossroads and making your way to the center. Uh-huh. Uh, at the end of the battle, each player calculates the total points value of enemy units they've destroyed, etc., etc. It's a kill points game, not based on scale. Um Whoever has the higher amount of points wins. And uh, if it's the same, it's a draw. So that's all there is to it. It's hmm. it's just a fancy way to make the terrain, but that is so much terrain, and it's, it's just a killing floor in the middle. It's um, a lot. And it's also interesting for some of those legios that can just auto-delete terrain. Just find oh, yeah. another way. Yeah. <laughs> if there's not a road, make a road. There you go. Although, so burned ones is the terrain or is the stratagem that Austin is referring to. It's a Legio Inferno stratagem. You just pick a terrain piece, delete it, it's gone. Uh, you can buy it multiple times for one point, but man, you're gonna need a lot of points in burned ones to get through all that terrain. Even if you're trying to like cut across the roads. But still, it would be super cool. And honestly, putting a there's a nemesis, a war, uh, warbringer nemesis is pictured on the on the page, and I'm kind of thinking it would be pretty cool if you stuck one in the far corner and just lobbed quake cannons and volcano shells down the open road. <laughs> so good. Yeah, super yeah. cool. Uh, I think there's one more. Yeah, we got one more. It's no man's land. Uh, Jesse? Uh, okay. Uh, the battle takes place within a war-torn section of a hive city. Both deployment zones should contain a moderate amount of urban terrain. The rest of the battlefield should also contain a moderate amount of ruined terrain to represent a city section that has been subjected to extensive bombardment. Uh, players agree on the same battle rating. Deployment, the winner of a roll-off chooses a deployment zone and deploys half their models anywhere within their chosen deployment zone. The opposing player then deploys half their force in the opposite deployment zone. Then, starting with the winner of the previous roll-off, players take in turns to place one of their opponent's units that isn't deployed yet anywhere on a battlefield that is outside a deployment zone and more than three inches away from an enemy unit. Whoa. Wait, what? Say that yeah. again? So, you put your opponent's titans down. So one person puts down half of their titans. The other place person places half of their titans. Yeah. And then uh, you, the other person gets to place the other half of your opponent's titans anywhere on the board, more than three inches away from an enemy unit and outside of a deployment zone. 
That is wild. That's no man's land, I guess. Yeah. yeah. If for whatever yeah. reason a unit cannot be deployed in this manner, the controlling player of that unit deploys them in their own deployment zone as normal. Uh, special rules. We have urban war zone. Much of the surrounding city has been devastated by the protracted war between the two forces, creating a no man's land wreathed in smoke and fire that has shattered the cohesion of both armies. If a unit makes an attack against a unit that is more than twice the target's scale and inches away from the attacking unit, apply a negative one modifier to all hit rolls in addition to any other penalties. Oh no. Uh, In addition, many of the buildings within the ruins uh, are burning. Any units more than 12 inches from the attackers and or defenders board edge require a D6 roll of 5 up rather than 4 up to vent plasma. In addition, a titan with the reactor leak critical damage effect advances their reactor level by one extra hole normal during the end phase. Well, that's atrocious. It's going to be hot. I'm a little in love. I'm not going to lie. Yep. This this scenario sounds wild. Uh, we we may have to take a break from legendary missions and do some friggin' uh, some of these. Yep. And now, uh, victory and now is, for the final uh, touch. Yeah, victory is uh, points. Yep. Destroyed points. Yep. Compromise, night banners, blah, 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 are half the points. So Yeah. There you, you go. go. For extra fun, Austin, Hive World No Man's Land, Titan Duel. Uh, just maximum fuckery. <laughs> yeah. There's targets everywhere. Who are you going to go for? Whoever you go for, the other guy's going to shoot you in the back. And these are the world, uh, the world rules out of Crucible of Retribution. Yep. That's, uh, that's all of them. Yep. Behold their glory. Now go forth and play them. Yeah, that's not yeah. bad. I would say of like all 15, there was like two that I wasn't super impressed with. Mm. And the rest I want to play immediately. Yeah. Right? There's some so, good ones uh, in there. Yeah. Well done, GW. Tell you what. Yeah. So, uh, folks, I hope you had a good time hanging out with us tonight. Uh, be sure to uh, follow us on our socials. Our socials are Facebook and Twitter at RR30K Podcast, Instagram at Remembrancers underscore Retreat. You can follow us on RR30K.com. That's our website. And that's where you'll find uh, a collection of our episodes and also the Battlefleet Heresy Compendium, which includes also the new book two, Fleets of the Omnissiah Beta. Yeah, let's take a minute to uh, to talk about that. Uh, as Aust- Austin, <laughs> as Jesse said, uh, book two, uh, or at least part of book two, is now available for download. Um, we would like some input from you as to what editing is a never-ending work uh even now after who knows i I don't remember when we released book one now but we're still finding stuff in it that we're like oh man we got to go back and fix that uh so we figured you know we'll just go ahead and get that phase out of the way now and tell us what we did wrong in book two so we can fix it uh you have until march 30th i believe january february march yep end of next month uh, to tell us, it is, um, what's that email address, Jesse? Uh, bfh at rr30k.com. Yep, bfh at rr30k.com. Tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, tell us what confuses you and fills you with existential dread. What you lie awake at night remembering 
thinking about fixating on even. Specifically BFH related. We're not super interested in your personal horrors. Uh, none of us are trained psychologists to my knowledge. Question no, mark? but we always need Inc. 28 inspiration. So disregard what Austin said. <laughs> That's fair <laughs> enough. God. Oh, and in addition to that, we made a tiny update to book one. Uh, so it is now version 4.7. It's been updated as of hmm, last week. Uh, it wasn't really anything big. We just took the idolater raider off the fleet list because we didn't have a profile for it. And we have other plans for it. So it's just not there anymore. Yeah, don't worry. Okay. We got plans. It's exciting. Yep. Uh, do not stress, though. It is coming. It will still be in the game, just not uh, in the Legion fleet list. Gotcha. Yep. And you can also follow us on Discord, where we have a few, a couple of channels where you can talk, uh, show off your works in progress, talk Battlefleet Heresy, talk Horus Heresy. Um, the link will be in the other link in this show note. Yep. Look in the show notes for all things can be found there. And as always, we'd like to thank the patrons who make this show possible and keep our lights burning for us. We definitely appreciate it. We're going to start off with our Legion Praetors, starting with Alex Self, Chris Mack, Jacob Dillon, Gardner.Tree of Woe, Joe from Music City Heresy, Luke Rizzuto, Matthew Boyce, Mr. Baldwick, Nicholas Quenga, and Sar Luther. Our Legion Centurions, Angry Boy, Duncan, ah, thanks for upgrading, Duncan, appreciate it. John Christensen, M. Tanzer, Queen Corswain, Scott LeMay, the original Applesauce, and uh, Legion Sergeants, Aaron Maynard, Emily O'Hare, Garrett Lowe, Mr. Sear, Nick Gillen, The Zoy, and What Do I Call Myself. Thank you all so much for your generosity and patronage. And with that, that's all I have. Keep those dice rolling, and we'll see you next time. Adios. Bye.